open. How many of you love the Word today? Uh, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, I'm going to continue on my series that I'm calling God Never Wastes a Pain. God Never Wastes Even a Pain. Amen? Genesis 37, verse 23, and while you're turning, a woman was asked by a co-worker, what is it like to be a Christian? The co-worker replied, it's like being a pumpkin. God picks you from the patch, brings you in, washes all the dirt off of you, then he cuts off the top and scoops out all the yucky stuff. He removes the seeds of doubt, hate, and greed, and then he carves you a new smiling face and puts his light inside of you to shine for all the world to see. You're a pumpkin. Let's stand together, can we? Genesis 37. And I'm going to read 23 through 33 real quickly. And then one other verse, chapter 50, verse 20. And I'm going to talk to you today about Joseph's injustice. You know, I can go through anything if I can see a purpose in it. I can go through anything if I can see purpose in it. It's when I can't see purpose in it that I have difficulty going through hard times. How many of you have had a trial since you were saved? How many of you had more than you did before you were saved? Well, we're going to see today that there is a purpose, there is a reason, there is a design. Now, verse 23, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic or the coat of many colors that was on him. Then they took him, their own brother, and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So I'm assuming it was a well. They threw him down in a well, an empty well. And then what did they do? They sat down to eat a meal right outside the well. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, say that with me. They took Joseph to Egypt. But did they really? No. Not ultimately. We're going to see that. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And it says, he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So here's what they did. They hatched a plan. They took Joseph's coat, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, now they brought it to Jacob, think about this, and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or coat or not? And he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Everybody say with me, cold-hearted. 
They let Jacob believe that for years. Now go to chapter 50, verse 20, and we're coming to the end of Joseph's story, and Joseph is giving a testimony of his life, and he's talking to the brothers now way after the fact, way after what they had just done. He looks at them in verse 20, and he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me. That's what you intended. That's what you intended to do. You intended evil. There's no question about it. But God. Can everybody say with me, but God. Now here we have in one verse the mystery of sovereignty. You meant evil against me, flesh did, but God. As long as there is but God, then we're reading good news. Because God meant it, used it, designed it, orchestrated it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now I'm just going to quote to you Romans 8, 28. God is able, God is able to make all things work together. What did we just read? For good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Everybody just say with me, it's going to be all right. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's going to be all right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Open our eyes that we may see the hand of God in our own lives, in our own circumstances, even when people intend evil. You are never checkmated by them, but you will work it for the good. And we put our faith in that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, the story of Joseph is a lengthy one. And I'm just going to kind of capsulize his life story, and then I'm going to share some things with you out of this. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Joseph was his favorite, obviously, because one day uh, Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors. It was a special coat. I mean, he made him a sharp outfit, and he wrapped Joseph in this coat. Now, the Bible says that Joseph, as a young man, had spiritual, supernatural dreams. He dreamed supernatural dreams that were blueprints, hints at what his future held. One day he dreamed a dream and he was, he was out harvesting in the field. And he saw that his harvest outgrew the harvest of his brothers and of his parents. And he saw them bowing down to him. Then he had another dream. And the Bible says he dreamed about the sun and the moon and 11 stars, the sun being Jacob, the moon being his mother, and the 11 stars being his 11 brothers. And he said, I saw the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to me. Well, Jacob heard these dreams and he said, are you kidding me? You think that I'm going to bow down to you and, my, and your mother and your brothers are all going to bow down to you? But Joseph hid these things in his heart because God was showing him the day is going to come, Joseph, when you're going to be in a position of authority over your brothers and your family. I'm going to promote you greatly. But Joseph had no idea what his future really held. The Bible makes it clear that his brothers envied him. Beware, folks, of the green-eyed monster. It wears many disguises. It hides behind many faces. But jealousy and envy will rip you up. 
The Bible says his brothers envied him. And one day, Jacob sent Joseph out to the field to find his brothers. And they saw him coming. And here's what they said. Here comes that dreamer. By now they hated him. They hated that Jacob loved him. They hated that he got the coat of many colors that they did not get. They hated that he had favor from Jacob they did not have. So they hatched a plan. Their hate had grown to such a level, they wanted him absolutely destroyed. It's one of the, one of the most incredible stories of vitriol and venom and jealousy and hate in the whole Bible. They saw him coming and they said, now... Let's do something with him. They spotted a well, and as we just read, they grabbed Joseph when he came walking up. He's just a young man. He has no idea what is going on. They grabbed him in anger, their eyes filled with hate and envy, jealousy. They ripped the coat off of him that they so resented, and they threw him down in the bottom of a well. Now, you've got to put yourself in the mind of a teenager at this point. Think of the shock. Think of the hurt. Think of the dismay. They've got to be playing a joke. This has got to be some kind of a joke. This can't be real. They can't really mean to harm me. But now he's hearing voices up there. He's in the bottom of a dark well. There is no water. He can't claw his way out. He's way down there. And the Bible says he hears his brothers opening up their sack lunches and eating and just shooting the breeze while he's down in this well. He hears them talking about killing him. He hears them talking about completely doing away with him. It doesn't even seem possible, but it's real. Then he hears them hatching another plan. Let's don't kill him, because then we might be found guilty of his blood. Let's sell our brother. Let's sell our brother into slavery. So they find, they see some Ishmaelite traders, slave traders, coming down the road in a slave caravan. And so they hauled Joseph out. How they looked at him, I don't know. How he looked at them, I can't imagine. What are you doing to me? This doesn't make any sense. But they took Joseph and they sold him with him standing there, shackled him, chained him, put him in this slave caravan. And we can only imagine his thoughts running wild as this caravan now departs, and all he sees is his cold-hearted, stone-faced brother standing there, growing distant in the background as he's sold into slavery. He's taken down to Egypt. Now, I want to guarantee you while he's taken down to Egypt, he is hurting. He is in pain. How can this be? I'm in a nightmare. Somebody stick me with a pin and wake me up. But it's real. What did I do? I didn't do anything. I haven't done any wrong. I didn't do anything to them. He gets to Egypt. Before he knows it, he is sold. It says Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar, buys him, purchases him, takes him to his house. Now the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord made him successful in Potiphar's house. And, and I got to tell you something, folks. To me, Joseph is one of the miracles in the Bible, one of the miracles of somebody who was not eaten up and destroyed by bitterness. As a matter of fact, it's just a mystery. We've got to get to the bottom of it today because how can these things happen to you and you not be just eaten alive by these things? He's taken into Potiphar's house. 
he is successful. Before you know it, Potiphar realizes you don't have to be saved to see the blessing of God on somebody because Potiphar realizes everything he touches, it succeeds. So I'm going to put him over my whole household. But Potiphar had a wife, Sister Potiphar. Sister Potiphar, the Bible says, cast her eyes on Joseph because the Bible says very clearly he was a handsome man, successful, handsome, charismatic. The blessing of God was on him. And so here he is, and he's in the household. And the Bible says Sister Potiphar began to cast her eyes on him, and one day she just came right out and said it, sleep with me. The Bible says that Joseph had a response. He said, how can I do this great wickedness? and sin against God. The consequence was that she came at him every day, tempting him every day. One day it got so severe that he turned and ran. And when he ran, she grabbed his, his clothes and pulled them. And she had some of his garments. And she began to cry rape, attempted rape, rape. And Potiphar came home. Sister Potiphar lies to him tells him he tried to, this, this Hebrew that you brought in the household tried to, tried to rape me, tried to force me. And so he called the, the guards, the police of the, the palace. They arrested him. And the Bible says, then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And now Joseph, who was betrayed by his 11 brothers, who was cast aside, sold into slavery, now, now he's in a dungeon for something he did not do. He was righteous and paid a price for it. Sitting in that dungeon, I guarantee you, two words come to me when I read this first half of Joseph's story. Two words come to me, and they would come to you too. Not fair. Not fair. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't like not fair. There's something that rises up in me more than with many things when I feel that an unfairness has happened. Not fair. I'm going to tell you something. Life is not fair. People are not fair. If you live in this life, and we all do, there's going to be times when not fair happens to us. Somebody at your job got a promotion you should have gotten. Not fair. Somebody you thought was a friend betrayed you like Joseph. Not fair. Sometimes you might get blamed for something you did not even do. Say it with me, not fair. I have a problem with not fair. The list of injustices that Joseph experienced is lengthy. Listen to this. Cast into a deep pit by his brothers who intended to let him die there. Sold into slavery by the same brothers. Falsely accused of attempted rape by Potiphar's wife. Thrown into prison for two full years for something he didn't do. During this time, the psalmist tells us, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. He was shackled. He was forgotten by Pharaoh's chief butler and baker, we see later in the story. While dreams he interpreted during their stay in prison, he interpreted their dreams and asked them, be sure to remember me when you are restored to Pharaoh. And it says, they forgot him cast down, sold out, falsely accused, betrayed, imprisoned, forgotten. All are words describing the ill treatment Joseph experienced at the hands of others. It seemed the hand that life dealt to Joseph was a hand of jokers. No aces, no kings, no queens, no royal flushes. Jokers. 
Where was God? Where was God? Don't you know there were times he looked up and thought, where is God? Where is God? How could he let these things happen to me, to one of his own? Was this some kind of divine comedy, a cosmic joke, a bad dream? Where's God? At night, and I'm only conjecturing here, this isn't in the Bible, but I think I'm accurate. At night, at least for a season, this had to be true. Memories swarmed in his head like stinging bees, robbing his sleep. The deep pit, he had to have remembered that. The shock of going down there and hearing them up above, eating and casually talking about his doom. Running through his mind at night, chained to a slave caravan, the son of Jacob, the promised chosen people. How could it be? I have these dreams. I have these promises. I have this destiny. How in the world am I chained to a slave caravan? His brother's cold faces fading in the distance had to have haunted him. There was Reuben. There was all the ones he'd been close to. Standing shackled, can you imagine, on a slave auction block while prices were hurled at the slave master, what people consider this Hebrew young man worth. His father, don't you know at nights when everything was quiet, what was his father thinking and feeling? Did he know what his brothers had done? Had they told him the truth? Was a search party looking for him? He did not know. He didn't know. He didn't know. That was part of the torture. He didn't know. Angry guards rushing into his room. Rapist! You attempted to rape Potiphar's wife? Rape? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Innocent! Sitting in the dungeon halfway through his life. Nothing made sense at this point. Not anything made sense. If anyone could have lived and died an angry, bitter man, it was Joseph. Think of what you would be going through if only a portion of this had happened to you. All right, if normal human beings would have gotten bitter over this, angry over this, filled with resentment over this, why didn't he? Why didn't he? Because never read the account in Genesis. Not once do you sense in him Anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, never. It's never there. It's never even hinted at. We know that while down there in the dungeon, Pharaoh's chief baker and chief butler were sent down there, both imprisoned. And one day, Joseph, and this is one of the clearest signs to me that he wasn't tormented or bitter or anything at all. Joseph is kind of skipping down the prison hall he looks in and he sees that the butler and the baker have downcast faces. Now, if I'm depressed, if you're depressed, we're not looking at what other people feel. We're not concerned about what other people are going through. It's me, myself, and I. He looks at them and he says, what is the problem with you guys today? He said, oh, we've had dreams. And here's our dreams. And Joseph said, well, tell me the dreams and, and, and I'll interpret them for you because I've learned in my walk with God, that I've got this supernatural gift. I'll interpret your dreams for you. So they told the dreams. Joseph said to one of them, you're going to be restored to your position. To the other one, he said, hate to break it to you, he's going to take your head off and you're a dead man. 
<laughs> That's the one time you don't want to be around a seer. Sure enough, now Joseph said, now when you're delivered, remember me, remember me, please remember me. Remember that I'm down here and I, I didn't do anything. When you're restored to Pharaoh, remember me. But the Bible says when he got up there, one was killed, the other restored, and he forgot Joseph. You talk about feeling meaningless and inconspicuous and out of the picture and where is God? God can't even move on this guy to remember me. But the Bible says that later, just to go through the rest of the story quickly, jo uh, Pharaoh had dreams. Pharaoh began to dream dreams. Now Joseph is down there. He's learning his gift in his trial, in his suffering, in his pain. He is learning his gift. And by the time Pharaoh has his dreams, he says, he says, I will interpret these dreams. The word, now finally, finally the man remembers that Joseph interpreted his dreams, pulls him up in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dreams. Joseph interprets them. He says, here it is, Pharaoh. There's going to be seven years of abundance in Egypt, and then there's going to be seven years of famine so bad that if you don't store up food, nobody is going to have enough food to eat. Everybody will die. You need to start laying aside food in the good times because the bad times are coming. And Pharaoh said, is there anybody like this in the whole kingdom of Egypt who can interpret dreams on whose hand and whose life is the Spirit of God? And he pulled him out of jail, pulled him out of prison, made him second only to Pharaoh, gave him a chariot, gave him ring, told the whole nation of Egypt, when Joseph comes walking by, you bow down, you bow down. And so he who had been persecuted, betrayed, hurt, stepped on, spit on, wronged, became promoted second only to Pharaoh in the entire kingdom of Egypt. Everybody say, there is a God. But I got to tell you, though, I got to tell you, I want to go back now and let me just spend a little bit of time today on how in the world, before all these good things happened to him, how in the world did he survive emotionally? How did he get through this? How did he deal with this? How did he keep his head above water? What prevented him from being eaten alive by the betrayals? What prevented him, I want to know, from seeking vengeance on Potiphar's wife, Sister Potiphar, and his brothers once he became second only to Pharaoh? Most of us, the minute he put a ring on our finger and promoted us, would have said, I'm calling Sister Pharaoh out here right now. <laughs> now who did what? Never once. You know what else he didn't do? When he was put into all this power and all of Egypt was at his control, he did not send out a search party to get his brothers. There is this, there is this trust in Joseph. I just leave everything to you. I leave her to you. I leave them to you. I leave everything to you, God, because I believe. And here's what carried him through. He believed God had a plan. Can you say it with me? He believed God had a plan. Now say with me, he believed God was in charge. Now it's easy to say it's hard to believe. How is God in charge when I've been betrayed over and over again? How is God in charge when I'm in a dungeon? How is God in charge that I have been sold into slavery? But he believed that God had a plan and he believed that God was in charge and then he sought God in his pain. God had a plan. God had a plan. Let's just start right there. Do you believe that God has a plan? Watch this. He is able to make all things work together for the good 
to those who love God and are called, 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 called according to His purpose. That means God has a plan. God had revealed a plan to him before all of his troubles hit. So Joseph trusted that what was happening to him was not the final chapter. And what is happening to you is not the final chapter. You don't walk out of a movie in the middle. You don't put a book down in the middle. You go to the last chapter to find out what the author had in mind. You don't walk away from God halfway through. You don't walk away from God when you don't understand. You've got to believe God has a plan. He trusted that what was happening to him was not the final chapter, that what he saw was not all that there was. A number of years ago, I got my daughter an aquarium. Got her an aquarium, put a bunch of goldfish in it and these little tropical-looking fish that you can get at Walmart. <laughs> and I stocked this aquarium, put the light over it, filled it full of those colored rocks and the little castle where they could go in and out and, and uh, all these little toys for the f- little fishies in the aquarium. And I used to love going in there at night and turning off all the lights and turning on that little fluorescent light and watching them in their world. Just being a fish. Now, it was therapeutic for me, and I started thinking when I was watching these things one night. They have no idea that there is a being of much higher intelligence, very different from them, watching every move they make. They have no idea that every day a hand with food drops food into their aquarium. They just know that it's there. And they eat it. They have no idea that every once in a while I would thrust my hand in, move the castle around, clean the aquarium out, move the rocks around, and then withdraw it. I got to think in one night, there has to be a debate in the aquarium. There are those who believe in the hand. And there are those who say, no, there's no hand. And there are those in that aquarium who would say, I guarantee you I've seen the hand. I saw it. I saw it come in. I saw it move things around. I saw it clean this place up, and then I saw it depart. And once or twice, it's even brushed up against me. I had a Holy Ghost fit. (laughs) But then the other one said, no, there is no hand. There is no. That's a figment of your imagination. There is no hand. That castle moves by itself. Those rocks are there on their own. The whole the way this whole thing has evolved takes care of itself. There's no hand. And so there was a debate. There were those that believed in the hand and those that did not believe in the hand. Those who believed in the hand eventually evolved to the place where they believed the hand had a plan. Because every time that hand comes down in this aquarium, it moves things around. It makes life more palatable, more doable, more enjoyable for us. I believe that not just there is a hand, but the hand has a plan. The hand is attached to something else. And that being has a plan. Because other than that, nothing else makes any sense. So you have those that believed in the hand, those that did not. Those who believed in the hand had the security that there was a plan behind the hand. Now let me tell you something, folks. 
We are not just in this world. It did not just happen. You did not evolve from a monkey. You did not evolve from an ape. Your distant ancestors did not crawl out of some ancient sea and grow legs and grow arms and grow a mouth and grow eyes. We are in our own little aquarium. Now, guess what? Here's what I thought that one night. Not only were they aware of a hand, but here's what they weren't aware of, that beyond their aquarium was a room. And beyond that room, a house. And beyond that house, a city. Beyond that city, a world. Beyond that world, a universe. There was so much they could not see. Every once in a while, there would be evidence of the other place coming into their aquarium. And then would withdraw. Today we worship God and the hand came in. The presence of God. The hand is moving right now among us. And when we all leave... The hand and the God behind the hand is still living in His heaven. And that heaven invades earth all the time. But see, what we can't see, that's why Paul said, on my very best day, I see through a glass darkly. There are things I don't understand. But here's what Joseph believed. Joseph had to believe this or he would have gone crazy with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in his life for what had been done to him. He had to believe that God had a plan and he had to believe in the hand the hand of providence, the hand of sovereignty, the hand of God moving in his life towards a desired end. He had to believe that God was bigger, stronger, mightier than anything people were doing. He believed that God had a plan. And he believed that God was in charge. Now let me tell you something, folks. In your life, when there are trials, difficulties, fire, you go through difficult things. You only see that. You're in your aquarium. But faith says there is a guiding hand of providence, a guiding hand of sovereignty, and it's leading, and it's working. And the footstep that God is leaving, leading in your life, leaving in your life is bigger, stronger, greater than anything men do. God is going to override and overrule what men do. He's working out a plan to a desired end. There is a hand with a plan. There is a God with a destiny. He's got something for you. He's guiding you. He's leading you down the path of life to a desired end. He believed that God was in charge. Do you believe that God is in charge? He had to believe that God was in charge. You know, God, I've seen what my brothers did. I've seen what Potiphar's wife has done. I'm really in a bad spot. But God, I believe that you're in charge. I believe that you're mightier than all these circumstances. And I believe if I just hang on long enough, I'll go to the end of the book and see the final chapter and see that you were in charge the whole time. The Bible teaches that none of God's purposes can fail. I don't believe that a believer, that a Christian, can die before his time. You are, you are indestructible until God was, is done with you. The Bible teaches 
God said in Isaiah, I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose, my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. No matter what happens to you in life, can you say with me, God's plan will take place. If I keep faith, and walk with Him. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. It says there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan of men or of devils that can succeed against the Lord. Glory to God. I don't care how deep your valley is, God's going to take you out to the other side. I don't care how hot the oven is, it's not hotter than the power of God. I don't care what Satan has tried to do, he's going to undo Satan's strongest attempts to take you down. He is going to cancel satanic assignments and set you free and bring you to the other side. God has a plan. The great Bible character Job, after his extreme trials and great suffering, said this about God. You can do all things and no purpose, not any purpose of yours, can be thwarted. God has a plan. Joseph had to have believed this. He had to have believed this or he would have gone crazy. The third thing he did, he sought God in his pain. He sought God in his pain. He sought God in his pain. The Bible tells us about a certain king who got diseased in his feet. And it says the disease was severe. And the Bible says he died. And the reason he died was because he didn't seek God in his affliction. You know, folks, God allows problems into our life that they might become stepping stones to a higher place, not stumbling stones to a lower place. He wants every problem, every trial, every fire, every test to take us higher. But the only way that's going to happen is if you look up and say, Lord, I believe you have a plan. I believe you're in charge. And I'm going to seek you in this affliction. David said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I seek you and seek your word. He sought God in his pain. He had to have. The Bible says in James, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing your circumstances through God's eyes. David in one place said, I would have been overwhelmed by my circumstances, and I was overwhelmed until I went into the house of God and sought your face. And then he said, now I see. There's two perspectives, yours and God's. And we get God's perspective via wisdom. And wisdom comes when we seek God in our pain. Some people, when they're in pain, it drives them away from God. They don't go to church anymore. They get offended. They quit praying. I've talked to quite a few of them. They quit seeking God. They get an attitude. What's the matter with you? Huh, it just didn't work for me. What didn't work for you? It. What's it? Oh, you know, the, the, all that Christian stuff didn't work for me. No, no, that's not true. Because God and anybody in here who can tell me God's ever failed you, stand up and say it. You can't do it because God, when you sought him, has never failed you, not one time. God said to me once, he said, Jeff, why are you down? Have I ever failed you? 
And I thought about it. And I thought, no, you never have failed me. You have never once failed me. You've been true every time to me. He said, well, then I'm going to do it now. So just be quiet. (laughs) Wisdom is seeing your circumstances through God's eyes. What was Joseph's testimony on the other side of this incredible trial he went through? I know that he sought God in his pain because here is what God showed Joseph. One day Joseph was praying. It might have been in the dungeon. It might have been in Potiphar's house. We don't know where, but we do know the day came when Joseph received God's understanding of what he was going through. If it had been you and me, here's what we would have told people. Life was great until my brothers came along. They betrayed me. They ruined my life. I don't pray anymore. I don't seek God anymore. And I've got every right in the world to be bitter. And not only them, but boy, I've got to tell you, then along came some woman, lied about me. Now, I've got nothing. I'm just angry and bitter. That's not what Joseph said. Joseph said to his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. Watch this now, that you sold me here for God did send me. Joseph, you had too much pizza last night. God didn't send you anywhere. They sold you up the river, Joseph. No, because when he sought God in his pain, God said, Joseph, my call is on your life. My purposes are all over you. I've got a purpose for you. And so your brother's intended evil, that's for sure. But I, the overpowering, the overruling, the sovereign, the providential God, took what they intended for evil, and I worked it for my good because I've got a call on your life, and nothing anybody does to you is going to hinder that call. If somebody comes against you, I'm going to turn it around and make it work for your good. Everything is going to serve your good because my call is on your life. So Joseph said, God sent me. God sent me before you, and here's why, to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there won't be any plowing, not any harvest. It's going to be tough times, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives, to save your lives, to save your lives. Wait a minute, the lives of the ones who who turned on me? Yes, God was bigger than all of this. And he sent me before you to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me to this place, but God. And he has made me ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now they're just standing there going, how could this be? How real was this to Joseph? It was so real, so real, that about 13 years after they sold him into slavery, he was married. He had two sons. These sons were born. First, first, Manasseh. This deliverance of God, this revelation that God had been in charge the whole time, and he's in charge in your life. Pastor Jeff, he can't be in charge of the stuff I'm going through. He's bigger than what you're going through. He's going to work it for your good. Romans 8, 28. He never even wastes a pain. If the enemy causes you pain, he'll give you double for your trouble. He's in charge. We've got to start seeing that. He's in charge. 
No, he didn't move on those people to treat you the way they did, but he's going to overrule it and work it for your good. The first one he called Manasseh, meaning making forgetful. Making forgetful. Of him, Joseph said, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. I get to see him at nights. He's sitting in his palace. He used to be in a dungeon. He's gone from pit to pinnacle. He's sitting in his palace. His wife is over there making some great steak. His kids are running around. The first time he says, forgetful, come here. Come here, Daddy, forgetful. Do you know why I called you forgetful? Because God has made me forget. He's taken away the sting of all my pain. Oh, no, I remember that they betrayed me, but there's no sting with it. There's no pain with it. Because I see that, that God was the one leading me to this place so that you, forgetful, could even be. Give Daddy a kiss, forgetful. And the second son was named Ephraim, meaning fruitfulness. Oh, I love this. Fruitfulness, fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Come here, forgetful. Come here, fruitful. Sit on Daddy's other knee. Fruitful, I love you. You know why I called you fruitful? Because God has made me fruitful in the very land where they intended to destroy me. He didn't just deliver me. He made me fruitful. He made me successful where I can look at the devil. He's made me successful. He's made me triumphant in the very place they expected me to die. Come on, everybody. So say with me, God had a plan. God was in charge. And faith in those two facts carried him through. So he could say to those men in prison, hey, what's the matter? I'm okay. I'm feeling great today because I know God has a plan. And I know he's in charge. Come here, forgetful. Come here, fruitful. Don't you want to someday, with the pain you're in right now, want to be able to stand there and say, oh, yeah, I remember it, but I don't think about it much. There's no pain involved. And look at what God has done. I'm fruitful where the devil thought he would destroy me. That's what God does for his people. Can you stand today? <clears throat> Everybody say with me, I'm fruitful, and I'm forgetful. I'm not going to remember the pain. God has so blessed me. It's given me a good kind of amnesia. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise today? Hallelujah. Now we're going to pray and... I want you to lay hold of God for this, what I've talked about today. Bow with me for a moment of prayer. Some of you are in the middle of a divorce, what looks like is going to be a divorce. Some of you have already been divorced. Some of you have got people at your job who just make life difficult for you, difficult boss, difficult coworkers. Some of you have to live with someone who just makes it hard on you. Some of you have a physical infirmity of some kind that you struggle with a lot. I've just shared something with you, not only what happened to Joseph, but I believe that it's something that we should all lay hold of by faith. That God has a plan. God is in charge. 
And he's going to make you fruitful. And he's going to heal your memories to the place where when you do think of what happened, there's no sting, no heart-wrenching, no depression, no pain. Because God never wastes even a pain. If you feel like this was for you today and you need those two things in your life, raise your hand, would you? I want to pray for you. Raise your hand high. That was for me, Pastor Jeff. Now I want you to put your hand right over your heart and I want us to do something today. Say with me, Lord, I receive this promise today. If you did it for Joseph, you can do it for me. I see beyond the aquarium. I know you're out there moving on my behalf. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, make me forgetful. Take the pain away. And then, Lord, make me fruitful. In this very problem, that looked like it could destroy me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing one song before we go, Steve. And I want you to fellowship with the Lord as we sing. Go ahead. Jesus, Yes, Lord. Anything you want to say quickly to them, Kathy, before we, we go? Well, Joseph has always been one of our favorite Bible characters. Mm -hmm. But now that message today just was, it was amazing. That, that God never fails. And the aquarium story gave me goosebumps. How many of y'all did the aquarium story give me goosebumps? <laughs> well, you know, we, we want to pray for you together that God will heal you. And we're still believing for some healing in our own lives and some things we went through. And But we believe that the God who helped Joseph is the one who sent Jesus, and he's our healer. And so let's just pray. And Kathy, would you just pray for the people? Father, we thank you today for your word, so mighty to our spirits. And I just ask you that each one of us will take that word with us this week and that you will minister to us and let Joseph and, and his victory stay in our mind all throughout the week and touch every life and every problem that's represented here, Lord, and make us all forgetful and fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tim, you have a quick announcement. And this is our look around you. We got new carpet put in on both sides over here and here. And new carpet all down there with the children. It's all brand new carpet. And so amen. Uh, well, tonight at six o'clock at Hewlin Street Baptist Church, uh, we're gonna have a baptism service. And so if you have signed up to be baptized or you would like to be baptized. Um, I'm going to be just right over here in this section. 
I've got uh, some brief uh, instruction and direction uh, to the location, and that starts at 6 o'clock tonight. So if you'll just see me on this side of the auditorium, I would appreciate it. God bless. And today is the last opportunity you'll have to purchase your poinsettia that will be yours to take home after, the, at, after Christmas, but we're going to use them to decorate the sanctuary and the platform. Jeff and I purchased one uh, in memory of my father and one in memory of his father, and that's your opportunity, or you can just purchase one just because you want to. But uh, you can take care of that outside in the lobby today. They're $10 each. And also next Sunday is Care Sunday, so make your plans now to attend your uh, care group next week. And uh, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, we will not be meeting. Now, that's not this week. But just remember, when you're, as you're making not your... That's week. not this week. Y'all be here this not Wednesday night. Wednesday night. <laughs> but just as you're making your Thanksgiving plans, just remember that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we won't be meeting. And also, if you're thinking about uh, somebody in your life that you'd like to give Jeff's book to, making it right when you've been wronged or feel wronged, uh, next Sunday, he's going to have those uh, special discounted price of $8 per book, and he's going to stay after the service and sign them. So if you want to give it to your cousin Joe or your Aunt Mildred or whatever, he'll sign it to Aunt Mildred or cousin Joe or whatever you want him to say. And so that's next Sunday. Yep. Good. Okay. That's it. We're going to count to three, and I want you to shout with me, forgetful and fruitful, because that's going to be you. Yes. Amen? Yes. Are you ready? One, two. Three, may it be for you. God bless you in Jesus' name.